This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. IBM debuts Power 9. And Pezzy Computing takes a fall. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. Michael, we haven't recorded a podcast too recently, but you've been on the road. You're just back from a pretty big trip. Yeah, I was out there in South Africa for the CHPC conference, which took place in Pretoria, South Africa this year. Uh, This is my second time out to the CHPC conference, but it's actually the 11th conference. It's been going on for a little over a decade out there. And uh, yeah, it was a fun time. It was a it was a good conference, and just in the in the interim year that I missed it, there was a lot going on. There was a it was a much bigger and more extensive conference than I remembered from uh, from 2015. Uh, I think there was over a hundred sessions this time around, and it went on for four days with a, a bunch of workshops. There was plenary sessions. There were panels. There were all sorts of things. Um, you could see the. The HPC community has definitely dug in in South Africa. That's much more extensive, uh, and there's much more going on than there was just even a couple of years ago. Yeah, that conference really has grown. That's another one I've supported uh, in the past as well. I'm a big fan of Happy Satole and his work there at CHPC, so it's nice to see that continuing to gain some traction. Meanwhile, here at home, I did drop in on the AI Expo. Now, there was no travel required for that. That was located here in Santa Clara, and that was an interesting conference. It was co-hosted with the IoT Tech Expo as well as the Blockchain Expo. I was most interested in the content around AI, and in particular, the best thing I got to catch was a panel on big data, creating intelligent data models uh, using AI there, and it had panelists from LinkedIn, Airbnb, PayPal, and uh, Ancestry.com, which were all interesting, although I did notice that the panelists were all really more from the hyperscale side of the house. And it's uh, it's not clear to me that you could really draw a lot of insight there about how it's going to leave hyperscale and move over into the non-hyperscale enterprise. But some of the best comments I thought came from Amy Gershkoff, who's the former uh, chief data officer at Ancestry.com, and she was talking about how excited she is that data science is now such a popular thing, which back when she got her studies going, it was something that no one had ever heard of. But while she loves all the enthusiasm around data science, she had a, a few cautionary tales as well. It's saying that, you know, sometimes you get this big data analytics uh, program going, whereas what you really needed for your your business decision was a bar chart that if you spent three minutes on it, you probably spent a minute too long, right? <laughs> that some of the, the data analysis is actually not that complicated. And also that you can't just look to data science to solve or save all of your business uh, problems. Like, we're losing all our customers. What do the data scientists say? Right. Well, sometimes it's not a data science problem. They, you know, there's still other aspects to the business. It's uh, a nice salt that you can sprinkle on your food, but you don't necessarily make an entire meal out of it. Yeah. Well, speaking of machine learning there was and, and AI, there was definitely a lot of content at the, at the CHP conference as well on AI that – that seems to be now a big topic at all the HPC conferences and certainly at all the, all the machine learning conferences themselves, which now there's a plethora of out there. It's a big topic. It's also going to, it's a big topic for 
a product we're about to talk about. Uh, it's You can't get away from machine learning and AI, it seems like, on any story in HPC now. Big story we're talking about is IBM launching the Power9 processor, which we knew was coming, uh, coming back to supercomputing, but now is the official launch of the Power9, including a server implementation for that, the server known as the AC922, which is the server underpinning of the Coral system. But let's start by talking about the Power9. They have some pretty big claims about uh, the uh, number of threads per high-performance core, the amount of I.O. bandwidth, the amount of memory bandwidth you can get with Power9 relative to x86 specifically. Right. I mean, this chip, they've, which they've discussed uh, quite a bit in preparation for this official launch. Uh, it's got a lot of I.O. capability. They were talking about, of course, all the all the network protocols or interconnect protocols are supporting, including NVIDIA's NVLink, uh, capping and open capping, and then PCIe, in this case, Gen 4. So it's the, the very newest version of PCIe. Um, so there's a lot of I.O. capability at, at basically the fastest speeds of all those. The NVLink capability is, is the Generation 2, the one that went into the uh, <clears throat> the NVIDIA V100 processor, coprocessor as well. So they've got, uh, again, a lot of bandwidth to go out to those uh, devices and coprocessors. And then they've got just got a lot of memory bandwidth as well, up to 170 uh, gigabytes per second on the chips they're putting out now which is, uh, is higher than most of the CPUs out there, including the Intels and even uh, uh, AMDs. So a lot of sort of data-intensive capability on the, on the Power9 side. Yeah, absolutely. And the memory bandwidth is something that we expected to see from this power line. The I.O. bandwidth was actually also a, a nice surprise to see the, the I.O. numbers because we, we talk about these data-intensive workloads, and in many cases, the I.O. performance is more critical than the computational performance. Then I think not to be left out of the discussion is the importance of the uh, native NV link. Uh, that's really embedded into the processor because for these machine learning or deep learning kinds of applications, a lot of the computation is coming from the GPU and getting a faster link from the CPU to the GPU is critical to that performance as well. Right. That, in fact, it's the Power9 is the only host processor, actually the Power8 as well, but it's the only uh, host processor that does that CPU to GPU NV link speed uh, on a regular system you get the GPU to GPU speeds on NVLink, but to get that back to the CPU uh, is only available on the Power9 now. And that's that's a big capability, and it's a little bit obscure, but it, it actually provides a lot of, uh, of performance potentially for these workloads. So now you can essentially use memory, system memory, as sort of a global memory for the the host processor and the coprocessor, and so you don't have to bother with moving things around from lo into local uh, GPU memory and then back and forth like that, and and the programming becomes easier as well. So it it's a significant capability for for these workloads where you're using the GPU a lot, as in these machine learning uh, workloads. Yeah. Now let's look at some of the uh, Power9 processor implementations. Now some of these are a little confusing when we try to dig into the numbers, but what's clear is that they have a four-thread core available as well as an eight-thread core, what they refer to as an SMT4 and an SMT8. The four cores, uh, the four-thread cores, 
scale up to, it seems, 24 SMT4 cores per chip, whereas with the 8-core, you can go uh, only up to the uh, 12 cores per chip, but they're 8 threads per core. Now, we say up to because it, apparently you can do different numbers of different numbers of cores underneath that, which are evident when we start looking at the server configurations. For example, on this AC922 uh, server that's part of the Coral system, uh, they talk about a 22-core configuration, which is ostensibly based on the four SMT uh, cores, the, the four threaded cores, right? Right. Uh, and that makes sense. It's a high high core count, and they're probably going to go with the four-way SMT. It's, and again, it is a little confusing. It's not clear to me when the eight-way SMT kicks in uh, as far as how that uh, maps to different core counts. But on the configurations, like you said, that are available here is basically 16, 18, 20, and 22. I, I'm guessing... Uh, all or most of those are going to be the four-way SMT, which is a lot. It's, uh, you know, when we're talking about the Xeon uh, side of the, with Intel, those are basically have two-way hyper-threading, so you get more potential threads here if you're going to use that sort of multi-threading capability on the on the Power 9 side. Now, that's not always the case for high-performance computing applications. Sometimes it doesn't pay at all, but for certain types of applications, it certainly does and you can definitely up the thread counts very effectively with, with this four-way SMT. Now, making the configurations a little more uh, configurable, you've got different numbers of GPUs that we can configure into the AC922. That's available to either a four-GPU configuration, um, which is air-cooled, and that one's available now, or you can do that water-cooled, and with the water-cooling, go up to six GPUs. But the water-cooled configurations aren't available until the second quarter of 2018. Yeah, but my, my impression was the Summit system is going to be the six-GPU system. That's, that's going to be fully packed. I mean, that's a 200 petaflop system plus, uh, so they're going to pack those pretty tightly in there. I mean, the the interesting thing when they talked about the Summit system and the Sierra system, which is basically it's the same system, slightly smaller version of this, of Summit, um, it, it's interesting that they're using this AC922 as basically the, the supercomputing server and the enterprise server. They're, they've emphasized its AI quite a bit. So this is their AI enterprise server. There might be uh, subsequent servers that they come up with on the on the IBM side that are going to be for slightly different uh, enterprise type application profiles. But to me, it's interesting they sort of mix the one, at least one of their enterprise servers and the HP server together. And the, and it's uh, it's not what they did on the Power Ace where they sort of separated out the HPC uh, pretty starkly. They had a series of uh, of product lines for HPC that were just geared towards that. But here they've uh, at least for, with with AI, they've combined them together. Well, I think more than combining them together, they've uh, they've emphasized AI almost to the exclusion of everything else. They first of all make a very bold claim about power being the first processor that's been the only processor specifically designed for the AI era, which I think is an overbold claim. They've been working on this Power 9 processor since before 
AI was really the buzzword it is today. And certainly the choral systems, I don't recall hearing them having a massive emphasis on AI before very recently. But now uh, IBM talks about the Summit system within Coral and measuring its performance in tensor ops and how many AI exaflops it is. That was not the emphasis on these Coral systems until very recently and feels like they're jumping on the bandwagon of everybody talking about everything that, that AI is going to be. And to me, that's disappointing. I'd like to hear about some of the HPC capabilities at double precision with, you know, real double precision flops and, you know, what it can do for uh, CAE and quantum chromodynamics and all these great HPC applications we know and love without flipping all of them, almost all of the messaging over onto AI. I think it's overcooked. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I mean, the, the hyperbole on the, on the press release towards the machine learning AI side was, was pretty much overdone, I think. Um, I, I think it's fair to say they designed the Power9 chip, which which is now years in the making, for a data-centric world. I mean, the IBM's been on this strategy for a while, and and all the Power9 and even the Power8 systems were very data-centric. Um, but the claim it was specifically for <clears throat> for AI is is really a stretch. I mean, the thing that that makes it a little more so maybe. Uh, it, it does have that unique NVLink support on the CPU, which no other other processor does. So that gives it access to the machine learning capabilities, uh, basically inherent in the, the GPU accelerator side of that. But that's uh, that's a little bit of a stretch to say that that makes it this great AI processor. That's just sort of a a feature that that uh, is unique and enhances it, but uh, it, it doesn't make it a purely AI chip by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, you make a good point with regard to the NVLink that, you know, some of those NVIDIA processors actually have probably a better claim than Power9 as to being specifically designed for AI with some of the lower precision configurations or, or the Nirvana processor, that would be another one. And it's just, it's not that IBM, you know, hasn't been looking at this. IBM has been on cognitive computing and let's build a smarter planet since before big data was even a buzzword, let alone AI. You remember how long ago we were talking about Watson going on Jeopardy? <laughs> IBM has right. been, been on this track for a while now. It's just with, with such a, uh, a broader uh, possibility of workloads that they could be taking on with power at the enterprise level and HPC, relying on the memory bandwidth, relying on the I.O. bandwidth. I just feel like that we could be talking about a lot more than just the, the AI kinds of workloads here. And it's, and it's a bigger potential market for it to look at that as opposed to this. I get it. It's theoretically a, a greenfield space, but the, the systems market hasn't really developed here yet. I think IBM's leaving a lot of market on the table. Yeah, and I think maybe it's some of that has to do with they're they're not quite sure how these the system and the processor itself is going to be received. I mean, they've been talking about the processor for what two years now, um, and now they've released basically the first server, and they're still stuck with the same user early user announcements that they had a year ago, which was basically the DOE and Summit and Sierra. There's no other announcements for any commercial customers here. Even though everybody has known about this for, like I said, two years or so, um, it seems like there should have been some uptake, some early user activity. Now, they're 
possibly could have been some user activity that they just can't talk about because the user, whoever it was, didn't want it known. But it seems a little surprising a big announcement like that wouldn't have anything but a basically a, a one plus year old uh, uh, reiteration of a customer that they got, you know, way back when. Yeah, any announcement of any new product, you're used to seeing some kind of endorsement from a customer about how much they're looking forward to using this great processor. And for something that's a next generation, and this is Power 9 after all, we should yeah. have a whole logo salad of, uh, of people who are lined up to use the product. And that wasn't part of this announcement here. No, I mean, Google did have a quote that they're excited about the Power 9 processor, but doubtful that they're actually going to buy any of these uh, these enterprise processors if they ever go for the power nine system they're going to you know hook up with an odm or some other system builder that is going to build these sort of a, in a mass production sort of way so um yeah it's a little concerning for me to, to see this big announcement come out and just these the uh, just the old doe announcements uh rolled out as as the only deployments that uh, they have on the books right now so maybe we'll see more in the in the coming months or maybe we'll just uh, see more revelations of something that's being done now that just couldn't be talked about now. All right, IBM with a big Power 9 announcement, a nice-looking chip and the server, the AC922 going along with it. We're going to watch in our survey, see what kind of uptake they actually get in the market. Why don't we squeeze in one more story here, though, this week in HPC, Michael, because there was one that couldn't escape our interest. We've, been, we've talked about PEZY supercomputers, P-E-Z-Y, which stands for Peta Zeta Yada in Japan, which has surprised a lot of people by putting up some top 10 systems with their uh, accelerator chip, that PEZI processor. But they're now seeing some trouble at the company as uh, the president of the company and one other employee have now been arrested on accounts of fraud. Yeah, it looks like, um, you know, they were getting subsidized money from a government organization known as the New Energy and Industrial Technology Development Organizations. Uh, it's an organization that basically gives some some seed money and some R&D support for emerging energy and uh, industrial technologies in Japan. Um, they had some sort of arrangement with them, and they were receiving uh, some sort of subsidies. But it sounds like the, the prosecution here, in this case the Tokyo District Public Prosecution, Prosecutor's Office, uh, said they were padding their expenses with regard to these subsidies. So uh, that's fraud, and so they arrested them. Um, we don't know what the <clears throat> what the extent of the investigation is or the evidence. They didn't go into that, but these were some reports that came out of local Japanese papers, um, in, including the one I quoted in uh, on my top 500 news story. This was the Japan Times. They talked about what uh, what had sort of gone down there. Um, so there's not much more information than that, but it's it's sort of a blow to this company. He's not only the president and CEO of Pez, he's he's the founder. Um, so he was sort of the the impetus behind the whole the whole organization. And and this occurred, like you said, just at the time they were actually getting some notoriety in the supercomputing community. They have uh, the Gyoku supercomputer, which was number four on the system this time around. That's a 19.4 petaflop system, and basically all of those petaflops came from this PEZI chip, and in this case, the second generation PEZI SC2 chip that they've developed and, and recently released. So, um, And also, they, they captured the top three spots on the Green 500 list with three other uh, fairly large-sized systems. So 
Um, they got a lot of visibility this time around just uh, a few weeks ago, and now this happens. It's uh, somewhat shocking. Yeah, the president you're referring to is Motoaki Saito, who's the president and founder, who's been uh, arrested for fraud along with another employee, Daisuke Suzuki, as you've reported in your article on top500.org. So the big questions here are going to be, one, does this have any effect on their current contracts, the current deployments? Now, those systems are already bought, they're already installed, but they're also government-funded, and you have to assume there's ongoing contracts there. Uh, Are there any other competitors who can grieve and say that they want part of those contracts now? And then the second part of this discussion is, does it have any kind of ongoing effect for uh, Pezzi as a company? What's their ability to compete? You, you have to assume, I would assume it can't be positive, right? Hey, here's good news for us. Uh, so to what extent the company can continue to compete uh, with the uh, the president and at least one other uh, key employee removed, I think uh, is in significant doubt. Yeah, especially if uh, you know they get put on trial and they get found guilty, there could be all sorts of ramifications for the company. Um, you can imagine sorts of all sorts of unfortunate scenarios and they you know the the company itself had a a pretty aggressive roadmap for for these chips going forward i mean we just talked about the second generation pezzi sc2 they had one for next year on the schedule the sc3 and then in 2020 they had even had an sc4 chip that they've they've got in the works so um you know they had plans going forward and i'm i'm assuming uh, they had interest from uh, people in the HPC community in Japan to to purchase these chips. I mean, they, these are very powerful floating point accelerators, something on par with a uh, with the top of the line GPUs. The current SC2 is like 4.1 teraflops, with a very similar uh, power efficiency rating as as what an, like an Nvidia or even an AMD GP would be. So. Uh, this is essentially on, Japan's only indigenous accelerator at, at this level. To, so to sort of lose that, if, if that's what's going to go down, is would be a big blow not just to the company but to uh, some of the uh, the HPC plans uh, of Japan itself. Well, I appreciate your coverage here, Michael. You were one of the first English language publications to get on the story, so our listeners can go to top500.org and read more. Michael, an exciting week in HPC. Yeah. Yeah, there's, we've, we've got more and more coming up as we head in toward the holidays. Yeah, we'll have a few end-of-the-year uh, weeks coming in, and we'll see what happens uh, to wrap up the year. All right, Michael, thanks a lot. Thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.